Good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Vaughn Cash, and of course, I am so delighted to be with you on the Temple Broadcast again this morning. This morning, I want to talk to you about worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And I want to begin by reading 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. It says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And what I am going to begin sharing with you today can be applied to both corporate and personal worship. As you may be well aware, or maybe you're not aware, that different denominations and churches have different types and styles of worship in their services. In different sanctuaries, the worship service has a different look and different emphasis. That's just the way it is. You have different worship formats for worship services. There are different worship rituals that are a part of some worship services. In some churches, there is great emphasis on instruments that are used in the worship experience. Worship music styles, of course, differ as well during some worship services. And of course, our worship songs uh, differ. Sometimes we may sing the same hymns across denominational lines, but a lot of time our songs of worship are different. And of course, when we engage the scriptures as a part of the worship services, especially for churches that have specific formats and rituals that they deal with each Sunday, even the worship scriptures or the scriptures used in the worship service may vary. And of course, during our worship services, our prayer times and the way we pray may also differ from church to church or from denomination to denomination. And uh, there are some things that have changed over the years with regards to the average church worship service. For example, the Sunday morning service was at one time referred to as the divine worship service. And what you hear a lot of today is opportunities for worship or the worship experience. So there's been some changes over the years with regards to that. Also, in days gone by, singing during the worship service used to be called the song service. And nowadays, in almost every denomination, we call that time praise and worship. Financial giving back in the day was referred to as the offering when we would receive tithes and offerings. Now we talk about worshiping the Lord in our giving, which is absolutely biblically correct, but a lot of churches now refer to it as that, worshiping the Lord in our giving. And then finally, there is today great emphasis on worship like never before. We have hundreds, if not thousands of books on worship, hundreds, if not thousands of worship manuals and worship courses. We even teach worship theology. And of course, we have lots of worship conferences that are available around the world, as a matter of fact. And we have worship seminars, worship workshops, worship retreats. We also, in some church circles, we talk about prophetic worship and warfare worship. 
in different circles. These are some of the things that we talk about with regards to worship. And so when we talk about worship or when we think about worship in a church setting, it varies tremendously across the different churches, the different denominations, and so forth. But I want to share with you this morning as we move forward an article on worship that was written by pastor and author Dr. Jack Hayford. Here is what he says about worship. As God above all, the Lord Almighty is creator, sustainer, redeemer, and is the sovereign of the universe. He is worthy of our worship and deserving of our praise. He continues, Worship is the primary means for establishing an atmosphere. Number one, for the transforming entrance of God's presence. Number two, for the clear entry of God's word. And number three, for the loving entry of God's spirit. And number four, for the dynamic entry of God's works and power. Dr. Hayford continues, Accordingly, leadership needs to approach worship with the conviction that we are not providing an optional moment, but determining a pivotal one. And so he says, with this understanding, we must confront the fact that biblical worship, number one, will always require the humbling of human pride through worship, and secondly, must appropriately be conducted according to divine patterns for worship, and number three, will regularly manifest in the transforming joy and the humility which flows from worship. And so Dr. Hayford says that there are certain things that are absolutely important to the worship experience. I just want to reiterate this portion that he writes. He says, worship is the primary means for establishing an atmosphere, number one, for the transforming entrance of God's presence. That has to and ought to always be a part of the worship experience, the entrance and the experiencing of God's presence. Number two, he says, for the clear entry of God's word. In other words, the worship experience should prepare our hearts, our minds, and our spirits for the entry of God's word as it is ministered. Thirdly, he says, for the loving entry of God's spirit. So the worship atmosphere and the worship experience should be one that prepares us for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And however the Holy Spirit decides to move upon us in and through that worship experience, it should lead us into a greater level of experience with the Holy Spirit from that worship point on. And then fourthly, he says, for the dynamic entry of God's work and power. And so the worship experience should be one that establishes an atmosphere in which God can work, in which God can move. Now, I know sometimes when we talk about this and think about this, we think about the miraculous works of God. And that's true. That will happen from time to time in our worship experience. But we also must be mindful of the fact that a work of God's power is also done on the inside of us. In the worship experience, as God speaks to us, he does a work inside of us, changing and transforming our lives and also drawing us closer and nearer to him. So 
keep that in mind. When we talk about worship being the avenue for the dynamic entry of God's works of power, we are talking about the miraculous power of God through healing and salvation and all of that, but also the work of God that he does in our hearts as a result of experiencing him in worship. And so I want to go then to John chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, where Jesus talks and teaches about the worship experience. It says in verse 19, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. The Samaritans emphasized a location for worship, while the Jews emphasized a city for worship. So keep that in mind. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And so Jesus makes it very clear to her that there was a time coming when the worship experience would be different than what was um, historically done. And he says the emphasis will not be on a city or on a location when it comes to worship in the future. Verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus says to the Samaritan woman that worship is going to be something that will emanate from the spirit and not the flesh. So we won't be thinking about the location. We won't be thinking about whether this worship is being done in this mountain that the fathers, the Samaritan fathers worshipped in, and even some of the Jewish fathers worshipped in, like Jacob himself. Or, Jesus said, it will not be a place, a location, such as the Jews cherished worship taking place in the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus said, real worship, true worship, will emanate from the spirit, not the flesh. He also says that true worship will emanate from a truthful and pure heart. In other words, there will not be an engaging in fake worship. Because, you know, it's easy to fake worship. We can look the part. We can sound the part. We can act the part, but not necessarily be truthful in our worship. And, you know, in a country like ours, where churches are all around and we declare ourselves to be a Christian nation, we can go about doing these things just out of mere ritual and tradition, worshiping God out of mere ritual and tradition. In other words, we know we know the words to all the songs. We know when to say amen. We know when to say praise the Lord. We know when to lift our hands. We know when to shout and all of these sorts of things as a part of our praise and worship experience. But Doing these things does not automatically mean that the worship comes from our heart. Sometimes it could just be the motions that we are going through. But Jesus said, real worship, true worship, genuine worship will emanate from a truthful and pure heart. 
And why is this important? Well, the prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God is not is not focused on what we are doing physically when we are worshiping. And I'm not saying that some of the things we do are not valid, but what God is looking at is our heart of worship. And so, yes, we may go through the different things physically that we do as a part of the worship experience, but what concerns God more than any of that is the condition of our heart at the time we say that we are worshiping him. And so this is very, very important because across our country, across our island today, thousands will enter church buildings and engage in what we call a worship experience. But what we need to make sure that we are mindful of at all times is whether or not the worship that we are giving to God is being accepted by him. Whether it is genuine worship, whether it is worship from the heart, and whether it is worship that is pleasing in the sight of God. It makes no sense pleasing those around us or making those around us look at us and think that we are deep worshipers if it's not really coming from a truthful and pure heart. I'm going to have to stop there for this morning and we will next Sunday, Lord willing, pick up from this point. But I want to encourage you today, if you are going to the house of God, worship God, open your heart and worship God in an honest, truthful way so that you can experience the best possible time that you can have between you and God in your worship experience today. If you are not going to church today because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, church is not what you do on Sundays, then I encourage you this morning to open your heart to Jesus Christ. He wants to come into your life as your personal Savior and Lord. That will be the beginning point of what we call, what the Bible calls, a born-again experience experience, which will connect you to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and connect you to God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And that will lead you into an experience where you will know what it is to truly worship God. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege and the honor that is ours to bow before you today in an act of pure worship. We bless you, thank you, and honor you in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.